The June Stewart Leadership Series, a collection of podcasts and webinars designed exclusively for the members of COSIDA. This value-added collection of personalities will provide insights and perspectives on managing, directing, and leading one of the most important units in all of college athletics, the offices of sports information and communications. John Curry became Wake Forest's sixth athletic director in school history when he was named to the position on March the 3rd, 2019. Curry is just the third individual to have held the position since 1964, following the 28-year tenure of both Dr. Gene Hooks and Ron Wellman. Curry is a 1993 Wake Forest graduate who has served twice as an athletic director at the NCAA Division I level with leadership roles at Kansas State University and the University of Tennessee. He started his career in this industry as an intern with the Deacon Club at Wake Forest, that's a notable point we'll touch on upon this time together. John, this is a leadership series, so let's go ahead and set the baseline. How do you define leadership? Well, Trip, first of all, thank you for including me in this important series. Leadership to me is service. A leader exists to serve all of his constituencies, including his own staff. You know, as an athletics director, and as I begin my 10th year uh, as a Division One athletics director, um, you know, we serve our student athletes, I serve my president, uh, and I serve to provide uh, an environment uh, that can foster growth and success for our staff. John, we're all incredibly busy these days, and a case can really be made that the greatest crush of activity, it can be found in the Office of Sports Information, no question. With so many moving pieces from your position, how do you practice leadership in the throes of all of those deadlines, all of those expectations, and working with so many different personalities? Well, first of all, one of the elements of uh, working in athletics and working in college athletics, we're not fans. Now, we can have a fan subset of our uh, makeup, but ultimately, we should be professionals, and we should practice uh, professional integrity, and we should remember that it's our, our job to do the job and be a professional. And around us, we're going to have highly emotional fans. We're going to have emotional um, donors. We're going to have emotional staff. We're going to have emotional maybe board members or whatever. Uh, we have to be professionals, and uh, we always need uh, to remember that. I, I would like to believe that I've gotten better. Uh, at managing those expectations and also understanding that when we define expectations in advance and we, when we prepare in advance, when the moment of time comes that it's coming at us really fast, we should be prepared uh, for those moments of time. But there's also a moment in the uh, action, if you will, um, that all you can do is all you can do. And as long as you're doing all you can do, all you can do is enough. That makes me think of a, a follow-up question. Um... Yes, you have highly emotional people around you. You yourself as a professional, whether you're the athletic director or the head of sports information, chances are you've got times in your day in which you're going to be highly emotional. How do you maintain the balance between highly emotional and keeping composure? Well, it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's more difficult than others, uh, particularly you know, if you're in a game and there's a tough call and you don't feel like it was adjudicated correctly or if you know, you know you've got a deadline, or especially now, and, and I think media relations professionals are in a position where others around us are wanting us to react instantly to uh, random tweets and social media posts, and um, we do have to step back and think about what we are going to put out into the record for all posterity. And so I believe that the balance and the kind of pre-discussions we've had, uh, the role-playing, 
um, the crisis uh, communications practice, those kinds of things uh, are really important to enable us to be prepared to handle the moment. And what you said in there is a really good point. In the forum of public, there's always somebody watching us. So we may not think that they're looking for our reaction, but somebody is. So it's important to have plans. Uh, and, and media relations people are really good at putting together plans for uh, what, um, you know, whether it's a coach press conference, um, you know, when you're introducing a new coach or launching a new coach. But in a lot of ways uh, nowadays, um, we have to be thinking about how we launch new initiatives, um, how we introduce new coaches, just in the same way that uh, brands introduce new products. You know, a lot of foresight, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, also kind of the way um, the political campaigns introduce a new candidate, you know, thinking about how to to um, to place the right feedback and influencers and so all the plans that we have can be can be in place but the old rule of the battle uh, from the generals is you know once you actually get into the engagement uh, a lot of times your plan has to to be changed pretty pretty rapidly we can't anticipate everything some of the most interesting situations i've been in have been completely unanticipatable um, unprecedented in some respects and you can't practice for everything, but the practice that you do do helps you make decisions when you are faced with unprecedented issues or uh, situations you didn't anticipate. I love your analogy of generals. Um, you're often fond of saying that we're all stagehands. Another analogy, uh, we're stagehands in the athletic department, I've heard you say. What, what do you mean by that? Well, two of the mentors early in my career, as I started at Wake Forest in 1993, well, one of them is, is Charlie Patterson, uh, who, who has passed away, but was the Associate AD for Development here at Wake Forest, and, and he served as a, as a development and, and fundraising professional uh, for 50 years at a number of dis different institutions. Um, he had an incredible impact here at Wake Forest uh, and on lots of young development officers like me. And he said early on something that's always stuck with me, which is that you know, our, our student athletes and our coaches are really the stars of the show. Um, if it's a play, they're, they're the performers and we're the stagehands. We're the people that are putting uh, our coaches and our student athletes in a position um, to to succeed and, and, and perform. And the same would hold true with, um, you know, the, the, the stagehands and the stage support and the promotion that goes into the show. I mean, there's a lot of anonymous people who've helped create the buzz around Hamilton or around, you know, some Broadway play. The stars are the people on the stage uh, and the writers is the director or whatever, but this whole enterprise around the actual event, which includes us as the stagehands and supporters, helps make the big thing happen. This is a great spot, John, I think, to reintroduce what we mentioned at the top, that you started your career as an intern. Uh, and this is a follow-up to that support comment, I think, that you just made. Early in your time in college athletics, you were managing up almost from the first day, helping those above you to succeed. Tell us about that mindset with the approach and how you've carried that through to your leadership role today. First of all, I, I'm so impressed with the imagination and ambition of young people uh, today, um, far above what, what I was when I was 22 years old. Um, and starting out as a Deacon Club intern here, Ron Wellman, uh, who I followed as athletics director uh, here, uh, gave me my first job uh, in 1993. I started on August 16th. 
1993. And young people today or aspiring athletic administrators, you know, come and sit down and say, you know, John, I, I want to be an athletic director. And, and I never really considered that when I was 22 years old. When I was 22 years old, I wanted to be Deacon Club Assistant Director. That's what I wanted to be. I was Deacon Club intern. I wanted to be Deacon Club Assistant Director, the next step in the um, in the block. And that Deacon Club Assistant Director would come with things like a real salary and health insurance and, and things like that. Um, and a business card that said assistant director, not intern. That was my focus is getting to that position. And so how was I to get to that position? And the most important thing was to get the Deacon Club assistant director promoted. And how was I going to help him get promoted? Um, but I was going to bust my butt to make his job easier and do things to make him look good and to help him perform at a higher level and to take the, um, the routine tasks that were new tasks to me, learn how to do those so that he could go do uh, bigger things and make more calls out on the road and raise more money. And, and I really followed that my whole career, um, going to Tennessee in 1997 and then back in 2000, you know, helping Mike Hamilton and Mitch Barnhart before that and, and Doug Dickey and, and all the people that I worked for, um, serving that person that, that is my uh, direct supervisor. And when I became athletics director at age 38 at Kansas State in 2009, I had a brand new president. Aside from the health and well-being of our student athletes, my number one job was to help Kirk Schultz be successful as president at Kansas State University. Everything that I did, I thought about my responsibility to serve him uh, and help him be successful. Because if he's successful, then I'm going to be successful. I'm curious, on August the 16th, 1993, were you a leader even back then, even as an intern, would you consider yourself a leader in some regard? Great question. And I love the way you ask that. There's always there's always someone who can see your example. And that in, in itself is a form of leadership. And even though it's cliche, when I started on August 16th, 1993, you know, I stayed later that night than anybody else. In fact, we had a little project that they said, hey, work on this if you have time. And in the next morning when they came in, I was already in and they said, uh, hey, did you get any time to work on that project? And I said, yeah, I finished it. I stayed till 10 o'clock and finished it. So that's old fashioned and not 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 very uh, sexy, if you will. But but that's basically providing an example that provides leadership that then um, elevates may hopefully elevates the performance of the rest of the unit. Just like if you have a freshman on your basketball team or your football team who comes in with an extra set of energy, um, coaches love that 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 adds to the competition of the of the team and the unit. And then then uh, in in that role, you know, one of the groups that I helped convey um, a sense of caring from the athletics department to was the student athletes, our current student athletes at the time. And uh, some of those student athletes like Stephanie Neal, who was a four time All-American golfer or Rusty LaRue or or others. Um, I, I still have friendships with those student athletes. In fact, one of them was Reed Sigmund, uh, who, who ended up um, in a prominent position in the college football playoff. We actually hired Reed, at, uh, and he was our inside guy, uh, deputy AD at uh, K-State, and then I hired him at Tennessee, and he continues to do a wonderful job at Tennessee as deputy AD and chief operating officer. So I suppose in that way, Tripp, that that was leadership from day one. All right, John, to be quite blunt, um, this is a question that I feel like that um, we could really use your insights on. There have been members of COSIDA over the decades that uh, have complained to senior administration that sports information, that that department has not been given the respect that they believe that they deserve. Do actions actually speak louder than words when it comes to leadership? When should a leader actually use words to advocate? 
actions are always ultimately more important than words, uh, but certainly words can set a tone for action that follows. I would go back to really when I started. I mean, I remember athletic development people, and I, I came up in the development world, and my, really my first 10 years were solely focused on athletic development. Athletic development was kind of the, the stepchild, so to speak. They weren't really the insiders of the department. They're kind of the external people. And, uh, it, and it was over time when athletic development became more and more important because of the importance of, of raising funds. I, I believe that the sports information professionals and communications media relations professionals are, are so important um, because of the repository of knowledge and the respect for the knowledge. Uh, you know, even now you, you hear stories about, well, we don't have the records from 1950, whatever, or 1920, whatever, you know, and um, you think about what, what's it going to look like in 2050? Are we going to have the records from 2020? And so there's a, there's a basic custodian role. At the same time, the, uh, the sports information industry has evolved dramatically. You know, it's paralleled in the outside world is, is the newspaper business or the media business, which has been completely disrupted. The reality of it is, is it, it's changed and the needs have changed and the expectations, allocation of, of resources. Um, all those things have changed, and so we have to we have to evolve. I learned so much from people like John Justice, uh, who was a sports information here at Wake, director here at Wake Forest when I first started. Uh, when I was at Tennessee, Bud Ford, uh, who you know he used to get on me about being this young whippersnapper, and you know he'd say, "Hey, Kerr, you know you need to understand this." And he was a crusty guy, but I listened and learned from Bud. Didn't always agree with him, but he'd tell me what I needed to know and what what he thought, even though sometimes he was right, sometimes he was wrong, and I was right. And so my my advice for anybody in any segment, sub segment of intercollegiate athletics is to is to proactively build relationships outside of your own unit with other people in the department and people across campus. Some of the best relationships I've had in my life have been relationships with people that weren't in the athletic department, whether it's faculty athletic reps. The faculty athletic rep at Tennessee in the 2000s, early 2000s was Todd Diacon. He's now the president at Kent State University. Um, and Todd was a person that I just started. He was a history professor and I was a history major. So we started having lunch every now and again. And and, and before long, he trusted that I was about more than just what the score was on the field, that I did care about student athlete welfare. Before long, he also understood a little bit more about the depth of some of the challenges we faced in the athletics uh, unit. Uh, and I understood more about uh, how things got framed in the university unit. And he's a lifelong friend and colleague and advocate each way. And so I think that athletics department employees uh, assistant directors of whatever, sports information, development, basketball operations, whatever. I mean, that, those opportunities to develop those relationships and learn about other depart areas of the department. And, you know, even though you're the SID for soccer and you were there till midnight last night uh, finishing up everything, uh, when you've got an opportunity to go watch somebody else's deal the next day or ask somebody, hey, can I help you with that? You know, th those, those kind of opportunities to build those relationships are, are, are really important. The last thing I'll say about this trip is that we all have to make decisions uh, in our careers that involve choices about uh, how we're going to prioritize things. So in my situation, I left Wake Forest in 2000, summer of 2000, to go back to Tennessee. And at the time, I was assistant AD at, uh, at Wake Forest, and I was 29 years old or something like that. And I made that decision because I knew that to grow – I needed a broader. I needed a. I needed a broader challenge. And the people that were, that I worked for, were who were awesome. Uh, were not going to be leaving anytime soon. And I could have stayed. 19 years later, 
uh, when Ron Wellman retired. I might have been a candidate to be the AD, but probably not. And probably I would be, you know, I'd, I'd have now I would have had a great run, and I wouldn't have had to, you know, live in ten different houses, and my kids wouldn't have gone to four different schools in the last four years. Um, and so there's trade-offs uh, to that. But because I left and took that challenge. Um, to go back to Tennessee in 2000. If, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been a candidate and I wouldn't have become the athletic director at Kansas State in 2009. So now as I sit here in 2019, I'm much more valuable to Wake Forest as athletics director, having been athletic director at two other places and worked outside of Wake Forest and outside of Winston-Salem for the last 19 years and gained other experiences um, that I can bring back uh, to Wake Forest. I'm much more valuable uh, than I would have been if I had stayed here the whole time, which doesn't mean that you have to go, but it is important to recognize as one builds their career, the trade-off of the stability is probably going to result in less pinnacle mobility. John, you mentioned 10 different houses, your kids in four different schools. That, to me, connects to the idea that you are on different campuses, and campuses have their traditions. There's a culture within athletics that not so much we've always done it this way, but there's a familiarity in it being done that way. Should a leader challenge the process, whether they've been there forever or if they are new to an institution? First of all, when one does go to a different institution, it's always important to learn and immerse yourself in the culture of that institution. If that's, you know, moving to Kansas where I'd never lived and the only time I'd been there was driving across at one time on I-70, that means going out into the fields, literally, um, and spending two days driving around western Kansas and understanding what a feedlot is. And, you know, I once uh, spent a couple hours in a wheat combine uh, during harvest uh, with a, a great farmer producer out there to to understand it and feel it, um, kind of what was core to the history and tradition of that particular institution. Getting to know former student athletes and, and honoring uh, their stories, even if they're not going to be donors or not going to come back or whatever, um, that are part of the history of that institution and the culture and the fabric of that institution is, is important. Um, being around campus in different units um, in, in being present and visible is really important and doing those things, uh, you know, fairly quickly coming in. You know, athletic departments often have, you know, the ways of doing things. Um, and certainly, um, you know, that has been the case at the places I've been. So it's important to strike a balance between respect for the history and respect for the fact that uh, there may have been some some challenges before you got there that the guy that was here before you faced and tackled that you don't know anything about. And it's easy to come in and criticize. And, and I always cringe when I hear ADs or whomever come in and just rip apart the, the last administration or whatever. You know, I know that I benefited from the work that Tim Weiser or Max Urich or the people that came before them at Kansas State. Um, obviously, I benefit from the work that Ron Wellman did uh, at Wake Forest. So there's always going to be stuff that somebody has tough situations that somebody that precedes you has walked through, even though you have a new set of challenges um, that, that you have to face. It's your turn. It's your time. So I think there's a balance between respecting decisions, respecting the people who made those decisions previously, respecting and understanding why things happen the way they are, but also asking the question of, hey, is there some way we could do this a little bit better? You know, 
Tripp, you and I both grew up in this state, and one of the great historical traditions in this state was the Duke Children's Charity Classic golf tournament, right? It was one of the great fundraisers of all. But at some point, that was no longer the the most effective way to, to spend that time and resources. And so Duke gracefully ended that tradition a number of years ago. We, we need to have the courage to celebrate and bring something to conclusion when it's no longer the best use of time and resources to benefit our student athletes. And sometimes those are really tough questions and, and conversations to have. John, as we wrap up our time together, and I really appreciate you providing us some insights and perspective from your chair and all the chairs that you've been in, was there a moment in which someone offered you a compliment about leadership, one that has not only stuck with you all of these years, but that you might be able to offer to those who are listening? So so one of the great uh, moments uh, at Kansas State, Mary Ice, who's a uh, she and her husband Carl are incredible philanthropists and just just wonderful people that have supported K State in lots of different ways. Uh, most recently, with the uh, na- the uh, naming of the engineering school there. But we just finished the topping out ceremony of our veneer football complex. We were really fortunate at K State. We had uh, an incredible staff. You know, Kenny Lanoue continues to be a great friend, uh, who at the time was the director of sports information. I know we promoted him a couple times, and I know he's been promoted again since I've since I've left there. But Kenny Lanoue and Laird V and Chad Weiberg and Reed and Clint Dowdle and uh, Lindsey Babcock and Casey Scott. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of people um, that, that made that thing work and then great donors and a great president with, with uh, Kirk Schultz and then General Myers. But we were able to be successful and we, we had topped out this building. Uh, it was going to be completed. And we were, I was walking with Mary on the deck, looking over the field and, you know, still a construction site. She said, John, I just want to thank you for helping us see what we didn't know we could be. That was one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten in my life. That was more special to me than any win or any, you know, championship or whatever. And we won a bunch uh, there. That that was really, really special to me. And, and so so I would say to, uh, you know, COSIDA members, uh, you are creating those moments and you are telling those stories and you are helping inspire Uh, People like Mary Ice, uh, with the way you tell those stories, that then have a uh, massive impact and a transforming impact, not just on college athletics, but on higher education. The June Stewart Leadership Series installments of podcasts and webinars are available on demand, and they are exclusive to the membership of COSIDA. Engage these programs at your convenience and never hesitate to call upon COSIDA to assist in your journey as a leader of this great profession.